0: This Bible says this, give, everyone say give, and you will what? Give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you full. Press down, shake it together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will will determine the amount you get back. This is a brutal scripture, isn't it? About giving, right? Jesus is saying to his people, come on, give. Give and you'll receive. Give and you'll receive. And he's talking about within the context of forgiveness, but it's, it's, it relates to the, an attitude of our life. If we've got an open, honest, generous life that looks to give, then we'll always be the sort of person who's receiving. Have you ever, have you got friends who things just never go right for? Are you one of those people who things just never go right? Oh, things just never go right. Well, A, you've probably got a terrible attitude that needs to be adjusted because if you live in New Zealand, things went right. Okay, If you were born here or if you've managed to get here and you live here, this is a great place, right? Full of opportunity, full of blessing, right? But the reality is sometimes we find ourselves in, a, in, a, in an ever-shrinking world. Have you got less friends than you used to have? That's what happens as people get older. You end up with less friends. You end up with less interests, less opportunities, right? Because you're, you're in a shrinking world. If you're finding yourself in a shrinking world or you imagine you might be in one, you need to look at how you're giving. Because your giving determines the size of your life, right? What's going, particularly what's going on in your heart when you give will determine the size of your life. Do you know, Jesus said we should give. Jesus said we should tithe. Uh, Jesus said we should uh, be generous to the poor. Jesus said that we should always look to God for provision. But one of the things I want to say to you is this, is that Christians must bring offerings to God. That Christians must bring offerings to God. Do you know one of the things we say sometimes when we're... we're, we're have you ever heard someone say, hey, uh, Pastor, Pastor Alice is going to get up and Pastor Alice is going to receive the offering? Have you ever heard someone say that in church or in a church meeting? Going to receive the offering. Now, wouldn't that be great if you're Pastor Alistair, you get to receive the offering. Uh, but he's not receiving the offering. I don't know why we say he's receiving the offering. He's not receiving the offering. Uh, what, about, what about if I said, "Oh, Pastor John is going to get up and he's going to take the offering? right? You should be like, whoa, he's taking the offering? someone called the police he's taking the offering the reality is when someone gets up and a pastor gets up what they all they're doing is leading leading their brothers and sisters in giving because the person who's talking is already given or is a giver and all they're doing is leading us in our heart leading us in our motive leading us in our in, even in the act itself of giving right one of my one of my great friends at, at shout conference he was um, pastor sam asked him to Um, speak to the offering on one of the nights to lead the offering time. And he prayed about it, what he should do. And what he did was he got a $2 coin. He went to the bank and got some $2 coins. Some people like go to the bank and get change. It's like, wow, it's like the olden days. Uh, You know, uh, he went to the bank and got some change, but he got a $2 coin uh, for everyone in the building from his bank account. He got a $2 coin. From every person in the build, for every person in the building, two thousand people. And so he went to the bank. <laughs> he went to the bank, and he got two thousand two dollar coins. You know, so he put them in his pocket. <laughs> he, he said he had a sore back for two or three days because he was staying in a hotel. He didn't have a car. He stayed in a hotel, and he had to walk down Queen Street to the bank, and then he had to walk up Queen Street with his four thousand dollars in loose change in his backpack. <laughs> And then at at Shout, the reason he did it is because he said, I want us to give an offering where everyone gives. So I'm giving you $2, and I'm challenging you. It's your $2. You can do whatever you want with it. But wouldn't it be great if everyone gave and we could be in agreement? What's he doing? He's not receiving the offering. Why? Because 4,000 of it was his money. He's not receiving it. He's not taking anything. He's just leading us in our giving. Now the reality is this, when you don't give and when you don't tithe, it's one way you can open the door for the devil to control your life. Now I'm not telling you this because we need more money, right? I'm telling you this because I'm a leader in church and I'm wanting to lead you in your giving. Now, I'm not receiving an offering tonight, I'm not taking an offering. You don't need to call the police, but I am wanting to lead you in your giving tonight, because if you allow the devil to have a space in any space in your life, it will bring destruction where you don't need destruction. It will bring restriction where you don't want restriction. And I believe each and every one of us want to live free, don't we? We sung it enough times we want to be free. And we, we declared it over our lives that we are free. So I'm wanting to lead you in your giving tonight. Every Christian must bring offerings to God. We've got to do that. And I'll explain why as we go. Is that all right? Let's imagine uh, Richard uh, Cole, let's imagine Richard Cole uh, is going away on holiday. That'd be a good thing, Richard's going away on holiday. Let's imagine that. Actually, we could imagine Richard on holiday, a handkerchief tied around his head. Uh, at the beach, you know, uh, and uh, Richard's going away on holiday, and let's imagine Richard's got a really nice car, you know, nice solid car, let's say Richard's got a Honda Accord, you could solid 1990s Honda Accord, and they've got that, that classic, all those Hondas of the same area have got that classic mix on the paint where the, the clear coats come off, uh, the Toyotas do the same thing, right, and if on the 1990s they didn't have the technology right, and so Richard's like, uh, he's going on holiday, he's got this car, in, and I, my car, though, is broken down. Who could imagine that? You know, perhaps it wasn't well looked after. Anyway, my car's broken down, and so my car's at the mechanic, and I know that Richard's going on holiday. So I say to Richard at E Group, I said, hey, Richard, you I know you're going on holiday. While you're away, my car's broken. Could I use your car? I'll drop you at the airport. I'll pick you up. But while you're away for those few days, could I use your car? And Richard's like, yeah, you can use my car. You know, a, a, it's not, you know, how much damage can you do? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a good solid car, so I've got to break down. So Richard lends me his car, I drop Richard off at the airport, and then I drive his car around for two or three weeks while he's well on holiday, or two or three days, doesn't really matter, because it's just a made-up story, right? <laughs> but let's say Richard lands in Wellington, I go to pick him up in his car, and, and, and I pick him up, and I'm sitting there in the driver's seat of his car, and, and I look across at Richard as he sits down in the car, and, and I say, Richard, you know, I've been praying and thinking about this. It's really been on my heart, and I've heard some sermons in church even while you're away on holiday that challenged me about giving. So I've decided that what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you this car. It's a 1992 Honda Accord, and you're familiar with it because you you've owned it in the past. But I'm but I've decided I've decided I'm going to give you this car, uh, and I've written a wee card, you know, and I've put the keys in the envelope, which we'll is that now because we. You know, and uh, I just want to present this to you as a, as a ble- I pray that's a real blessing to you. Right? So Richard's has got to look at me like he often does, like there's something wrong with me. Right? He goes, you know, maybe I've got too much sun. Maybe I've crashed the car and I'll have a concussion. But the reality is we do the same thing to God. We bring our offering to God and, and, and we've been praying about how much we should give him. And we've been thinking it through. And the reality is it's his money. It's his money all along, but we make a weird song and dance about money in church. Hey, let's not talk about it on the one hand, or let's talk too much about it on the other hand, or let's let's sing and dance and put it in a basket up the front. Do you know what I mean? But the reality is, hey, if, if it's his money in the first place, he asks us for 10%. Here you go. Here, yeah, God, here's, here's, your tithe. here's the tithe. I'm returning it to you. It's yours all along. And I'm, I'm telling you tonight that Christians must give offerings to God. And the first reason is this it's His money in the first place. Number two, He says to. God says to. In Leviticus chapter 7, verse 30, it says this. I'm not as good at it as Johnny. Johnny does spend all week practicing doing this. Ooh. A picture does paint a thousand words. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. You right, Maddie? Leviticus. Turn to, if you have your Bible, if you have a paper Bible, turn to Leviticus. That's the part at the front that you haven't read yet. Uh, Leviticus. What did I say? Leviticus 27:30. And it saith. Until to hear us the reading. Leviticus the thirty says, One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs, you ever say, belongs? Belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to Him as holy. Right? This is the law. That's what it says. One-tenth of the produce of the land. doesn't matter what produce it is. Wherever we're getting produce from our life, produce from our work, then it needs to return to the Lord because it's, belongs to Him, right? It's an interesting language. He doesn't ask for it as a sacrifice. How many people know in the law there's lots and lots of sacrifices? Sacrifice, 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 sacrifice this for your sins, sacrifice this for peace, sacrifice this for what? But the tithe is not a sacrifice because it already belongs to Him. Do you get it? Do you see where I'm going here? Because a lot of people will say, well, that's Leviticus, Jordan. That's the law. But the reality is the tithe happened before that in the time of Abraham. He tithed to Melchizedek and goes before that with first fruits where Abel and Cain, in the second generation of human history, they're presenting their offerings to God. They're returning to God what belongs to Him, right? But it is part of the law, but it says return to God a tithe because it belongs to Him, right? And how do you know that in Jesus, we don't live under the law anymore? right? Sort of. It's still, it's still not okay to murder. It's still, it's still not okay to commit adultery. It's still not okay to lie. What in Jesus, what actually happened is we, in, under Jesus now, we don't make sacrifices, and we're also not justified by the law. But no one was ever justified by the law. That it's always been justification by faith. Abraham's the father of our faith. You're justified by the faith. What the law is, is a law is a way of life. Everyone say way of life? It's the word they use in the old versions is it's ordinance. Have you heard the word ordinance before? You might have a city ordinance, or if you don't use the word much in New Zealand. Uh, but ordinary, the word ordinary comes from ordinance. It's just this is how we're going to do it. So how the world's worked from Cain and Abel, Abraham, and then it's reflected in the law, is it's ordinary for people to return to God that 10%. It's just ordinary. It's just what we do. And for some of us who've grown up in church, we've got the benefit of having been discipled in this with pocket money, right? And we've just learned the discipline of giving back to God what belongs to Him in the tithe and that we've lived blessed because of it because we've done, we've learned how to do it as we're young. If it's new to you, we, you know, the reality is this. We return to God 10% because it's His in the first place, and He tells us to do it, right, in Le- right through the Bible, and that's the key one in Leviticus where it's part of the law. In Jesus, though, Remember, in Jesus, we're not justified by the law. We're justified by our faith. Our faith in Jesus makes us right. So giving tithes and not giving tithes isn't about salvation. It's, about, it's just about are we living a way of life that reflects and honors God? Right, just the same as any sin. If, if we if we repentant, if we're making a mistake, it's not a salvation issue. It's just an issue of whether we're honouring God in our life or not. Is that all right? Right throughout the Gospels, Jesus talks about money. Do you know, in fact, in sixteen of Jesus' thirty-two parables are about money, or they use money as a central picture. Uh, how many people have heard about faith? Have you heard faith as a Christian concept? Yeah, faith is mentioned in the Bible. Though there's five hundred verses in the Bible that reference faith. And there are 2,000 verses in the Bible that reference money and finance. Partly because it doesn't matter what you say about your faith, how you actually work out your real life and your money, your finances, your relationships is what your faith is really made of. You know, Paul instructed churches to collect money as part of their worship services. When you gather, collect finances for the work of God and for the mission in the world. That's in the New Testament. Uh, Every believer is instructed by Paul to give and to give cheerfully, right? Everyone say cheerfully. Uh, in, um, in Galatians 6, six, uh, Paul says specifically that we should give a, for those who—we should share our wealth. We should give to those who are traveling as ministers, right? We should give to those who are traveling ministers. So on Wednesday night when we've got Pastor Steve Penny here, we'll receive—we will give an offering— to share with Pastor Steve out, out of what we've given, right? Out of what we've received from God, we're going to share because it's instructed by God. Ephesians uh, 4.28 says that we should give to people who are in need. And in 1 Timothy, it says that the church is instructed to financially support the ministers and leaders. Right? So it's pretty well in the Bible, right? We should give to God because this money in the first place. We should give to God because He said to. And the third point that you've got to understand is that motive matters. Motive matters. All of the time, motive matters. I've got a great scripture here for you. Have we got the Bible working again, Matty, for James? Uh, James chapter 4, verses 3. It says this, even, this is, this is quite a heavy one about motives. This is bigger than money, right, about motives. How many people love to pray? God, do this for me. God, do that for me. God, do this for me. This is why your prayers aren't getting answered, by the way. So is that okay? I keep praying these prayers, for, you know, and they're not getting answered. This is why, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Ah, oh, that's why I'm not getting, uh, you know, that's why. No wonder my Lamborghini hasn't arrived. All right? Your motives are all wrong. You don't, God just doesn't answer your prayer. If your motives are wrong, why doesn't he answer your prayer? Because if he was to give you the thing you ask for with wrong motives, it becomes destructive. It's not a blessing anymore. You ask, you don't, uh, you don't receive because you, your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Isn't that an interesting thought when you think about money? When we give, our motive matters. You know, a lot of, a lot of people t- teaching about um, giving, particularly people from a particular northern hemisphere country who appear on Christian TV, uh, they'll use the passage I talked about right at the start. Luke, give and it will come back to you. Press down, shaking together and running over. And if you give, we'll also send you this free mug and we'll pray blessings on you, Right? Uh, and there's a, there's a hidden message, and most of those people are good people, I'm sure. All of those people are not responsible to me. I'm not their pastor, so they can say whatever they want, right? Uh, but in our church, we're not going to give so that we can get. We're going to give because we love to give. Have you ever, have you ever, oh man, isn't it the most awkward thing in the world? It's the most awkward thing in the world, and it happens in school when I was in like little in school, but it sneaks into life, but we just get it better at hiding it, you know? Oh, Alistair, your your painting's really good. My painting's terrible. And Alistair then feels compelled to say, Oh, no, yours is really good too, right? But even as a six-year-old, he feels icky doing it, right? Because this person's just given a compliment and then denigrated their own work just so that someone will say, No, yours is really good too. Well, let's not be creepy with God. Let's not bring our tithe to God and say, God, here's our tithe. Come on. Let's just give it. Let's just give. When, when, let's just invite people around to our house and feed them. And, and they're not like, oh, they haven't invited us back. Do you know, probably, maybe they don't like you. It doesn't matter. Right? <laughs> yeah. Come on, let's just be open. Let's just be generous. Let's just be givers, Right? Don't you reckon that's a good idea? Our motive matters, right? Um, yeah, um, you know, greed is a big part of life. And greed locks into our life. A spirit of greed locks into our life. And the reason God asks us to give is so that we, don't, so that we can avoid greed. We avoid getting locked up in greed. Um, you know, when your kids are little, one of the things I love about Christmas is you put the, the presents under the tree, you know? And then little, little kids will, make, will write a Christmas list, you know? A helicopter. You know, and 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 a, a, you know, a long Christmas list. Does anyone remember writing a long Christmas list as a kid, of, of possible gifts? No, yeah. Anyway, anyone imagine? Oh man, it wouldn't be awesome to get a something for Christmas that you probably your parents could never afford, right? But you don't know. You know, you're just a little kid. But and when kids are little, it's awesome. It's cute, isn't it? Cool. I, I love it when i uh, watching Lucia open presents. She's, she's one of the best present openers in the history of the world. She'll open a present, and it doesn't matter what she, what it is. She'll look at it and go, ah, I love it, <laughs> right? I love it. I love it. I love it. It's awesome. So you're like, yeah, you can have another present, right? But, you know, when I was a kid, yeah, I can remember just opening presents. Just rip. Throw a present. Throw a paper. Next one, Rip. You know, and I'm sure my parents are like, oh, it's cute. But, you know, that's only cute when you're little. Right, if we come to your 21st, Luca, and you're ripping over presents and not, not thanking people, you know, it gets a bit weird, doesn't it? It gets a little bit weird at your wedding if you're like, hey, thanks, everyone. We're just going to open the presents. You that gets a little bit weird, you know, and, and the reality is greed is normal human thing, right? But we've got to discipline and grow out of it. Otherwise, it can have a foothold in our life, right? If you have trouble tithing, even though you read the Scripture and you see where the Bible says, you've got to ask yourself, is the, has the devil got a foothold in my life around money where it's just too hard for me to honor God in this area of my life? It's easy to point the finger at someone who has a sex addiction or they keep killing people and you say, well, they're clearly demon-possessed, right? This person's clearly demon-possessed because of that error in their life that doesn't honor God, right? What about tithing? Okay, please understand, I didn't just call you, I did just call you demon-possessed if you don't tithe, but what I'm asking you to do is do the thinking. I'm challenging you to do the thinking. Come on, have a look at what the Bible says right through the Bible, and understand that we've got to give because God said to, and our motive matters. Let's have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter nine. How many people like the Bible. Have you know that the Bible doesn't say what we want it to say? Have <laughs> yeah. you know that? And if the Bible just said what we wanted to say, we wouldn't need God to have written down, because we could have just imagined a happy place where we just did whatever the hell we wanted right but actually the bible teaches us life and so second corinthians chapter 9 verses 6 to 8 this is the bible and it says this remember this a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop don't you like the word the use of the word generous in there so it doesn't it says you can plant a small a few seeds or you can plant generous do you know everyone in this room we can plant generous now, some of you can plant bigger or smaller than the person next to you in terms of the, what finance God has entrusted you. But we can all give generously, right? Because generous is never about an amount. It's always about an attitude. One of my uncles brought on Facebook today as well. It's obviously Facebook day for Jordan. Uh, but one of my uncles wrote on Facebook today. And he's a, my, I've got an uncle who's very, very wealthy. And he had just a, a picture on his Facebook page of a long, like a long, long dining table. Like a fifteen-seat dining table, and it just said, "and it just said, um, if you have more money than most, you have to choose between a longer table or a higher fence." And I just thought, "Wow, there's a lot of wisdom in that. You have to choose in your life between a longer table or a higher fence. Are you going to just protect what you've got? Now you can be doing this with three dollars a week. That's oh, my money." Or you can say, "Hey, it's our money. God's given it to me. Let what's God? What has God called me to do with it? Right? And that includes things like buying your own home and saving for your retirement, and uh, you know, honoring your parents. And it includes things like honoring God with the tithe." It is included in what has God called you to do with the amount of money that God's given you. You might, have, you might say, oh, I'm going to live my life open with a long table, or you can say, I'm going to live my life small with a high fence. God loves it when we can give cheerfully. Carry on. Can we carry on with Corinthians? Um, you must each decide in your heart. Isn't this cool? You must decide in your heart how much to give. Why? Because your heart is where your motive is, and your, your motive will decide how much to give. And don't give reluctantly. Don't ever give reluctantly. Oh, I don't really want to. Don't give. Or in response to pressure. Don't give in response to pressure. Right? For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. What did I say? Motive matters. God doesn't, if you give under pressure, God doesn't really like it. If you're giving but you don't really want to, God doesn't, it's not, God doesn't, it's not pleased by God. God loves it when we can give cheerfully. So the question you've got to ask yourself is, at what level can I give cheerfully? Because zero is not a level because that's not giving. But what level can you give cheerfully? Why don't you give cheerfully after deciding in your heart? Amen? Very, very cool. Okay, so we're giving to God because it's His money in the first place. He said to do it, and our, but our motive matters. is probably the most important thing for us to think about. Um, and the, the problem with giving and finances and, and honoring God with the tithe, I think the problem is never about money. You've got to understand me. I, I, I look at the bank statements for church, right? It's part of my job. And I, I think without a shadow of a doubt, the poorest person in our church tithes. Like without a shadow of a doubt, I know that. I know how much the benefit is, and I know how much money is coming in. Right? I know that. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not telling you that. I'm not telling you that to shame you. I'm telling you that to, to prove the point. It's not about an amount of money. What it's about is about faith and trust. Now, so to get the difference, it's about faith and trust. Now, why is it complicated then? Because faith is a difficult concept for us, faith is a challenge. To live in faith is so much more demanding of us personally as people than turn up a church or be a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian, well, but to live by faith demands us stepping out of the boat into the storm of life and believing God, right? Believing that God would come through, right? So the, the first thing that can trip us up in our attempt to honor God and finances is this thing called unbelief, where we actually struggle just to believe God and His Word. Now, I'm telling you that because I know across our church, just our little church, but I also know big numbers from across Equipers. At every single, right? So we've got Equippers Church Manila, right? There's people there who earn less than you can imagine, right? So Equippers Church Manila, we've got Equippers Church Zurich, okay? <laughs> so, so we've got this spectrum, right? And from, from the richest person in Zurich to the poorest person in, the, in Manila, right through, at every stage, there's people who can and there's people who can't tithe. There's people who can do it and can do it cheerfully, and there's other people who are locked up, which points to the fact that it's not about money. It's about something in the heart that's going on where we could all be free and we could all break forward. And remember, this, this series is not about telling people off. You know, I want telling people off about lust this morning. We're not telling people off about greed tonight. We want to live free. Is that all right? Malachi chapter 3 is where the Bible talks so, uh, the prophet Malachi speaks so eloquently about tithing. Um, and so we're going to have a look at that. Malachi 3, verse 7. And we'll read through a few verses here and then I'll come back to some of them as we go. Uh, ever since the day of your ancestors, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them, right? Let's just leave that up there, Maddie, but we're we'll just talking about it for a little minute. The historical context is this. In Malachi, the prophet Malachi, it's the returned Israel. So the people of God, Israel, the God calls them out of Egypt, brings them into promised land. That's a few hundred years of history, right? But uh, they're in the promised land, and then they have all the kings, and then they constantly disobey God. And in the end, to try and bring them to a point of obedience to further God's plan, he has to send them into exile. So an army comes and captures them, the Babylonians, first of all, capture them and carry them off right, uh, into, the, into Babylon, and there's some left behind as a remnant, and then this massive miracle happens, amazing miracle through Cyrus. He, the, king, the king of the empire eventually sends them back to rebuild the temple. So they come back to rebuild the temple. They lay the foundation of the temple, and then they start focusing on their own homes. So that's the picture. They lay the foundation of the temple, then they start focusing on their own home, and they get locked in extreme poverty. They came back with massive wealth from Cyrus. They got the foundation in, then they focused on their own homes, and then they get locked into a poverty cycle. And that's the historical context. And he's, that's what's going on. And you're continuing to disobey me, right? And now he says this, this God speaking, now return to me and I'll return to you. So this is, a again, understand this is relational. It's not transactional. I'm going to give to God. And he's going to give me what I want. No, you give to God and you get him. So see what see what greed doesn't what greed does is God, greed prevents you from connecting with God deeper than you currently are right. Give return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of Heaven's Armies. But you ask, how can I return to you if I've never been away? Isn't that the cry of religion? I'm, I'm not away from you, God. I'm, per, I'm i the way I deal with my money is perfect. That was, Jordan must be talking about other people who are greedy. That, you know, right through the series, we've got to understand that we, we've got to be humble enough to say, God, you could teach me something, God. Creator of the universe, maybe you could teach me something, right? We could be humble enough to hear that. We've never gone away. Verse 8 goes on and says, uh, Should people cheat God? This is God speaking. Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? Where did we ever cheat you? And you've cheated me. Of the tithes and the offerings that are due to me. Verse 9, you are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room to take it in. And verse 11, try it, put me to the test. Sorry, it's the end of verse 10. Verse 11, your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will no longer fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Isn't that cool? Do you reckon that's cool? I reckon it's, um, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting little passage. And it, the reason it's so cool is because the context is amazing. They, they built the foundation of the house of God, and then they got focused on their own homes and we can find ourselves doing that as well we build a we build a connection with god we're pursuing god then we get distracted into our pursuing our own desires, pursuing the things that we want, right? And we can live, we can actually live, our unbelief can, can put, force us into a position where we live under a curse, we live under the uh, curse of the devourer. And that what they would call, what they then called the curse of the devourer was what was happening, their crops were failing, their animals were failing, their lives were failing because they were, the, and Prophet Malachi says that it was because of their giving, because of what was going on in their hearts when they gave, right? Cool? Yeah, makes sense. Now, the, the, the issue for the, the Israelites at the time is they weren't evil. They weren't evil. you got to understand the context. Man, they were, they were right on the edge. They'd come back from captivity after 70 years. The whole nation's been in captivity. They're rebuilding a whole nation. How many people know that in a situation like that, that's a massively vulnerable? That's there, massively. I don't blame them for focusing on their own house. If you're living in Palestine in that period, man, you'd want a good, strong house. Next time there's a raiders coming through, you'd want a good, strong house. Wouldn't you want a good, strong house to protect your stuff, to look after your stuff? They were actually being sensible. They were doing the intelligent thing. They were focusing on the right things. They had their priorities all aligned, except for the fact that God had promised to protect them. God had promised to look after them. God had promised to provide for them. And so the issue at work is not the fact that they're they're just hungry for money and they need more and more, but they couldn't believe God in their distress that he would look after them. And the challenge for you, if you're a student, come on, believe God, even in the, in the tight times. If you can believe God in the tight times, then you'll be in a strong position in the future. My favorite tithing story is a young man who got a job in a toothpaste factory, Charlie Brown style. No, Charlie Bucket style. He got a job in a toothpaste factory and his job was, same job as Charlie Bucket from the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And this is a true story. Job in the toothpaste factory, his job was to screw the lids on and toothpaste was pretty new. His name is William Colgate. Do you know, he didn't earn much money when he had a job screwing the lids on toothpaste in the, in the middle of the Industrial Revolution, <laughs> right? But he had a lot of money when he retired. And he built an empire, right? And do you know what? He tied from the first day of his first job. Another guy, I know he had a delivery job in a, um, a retail store just a deliver, an errand boy, office errand boy. He'd stand there. It was before, phone, before telecommunications was good in New Zealand, office errand boy. And he'd go, you know, go to level four and four and say X, Y, Z to, to Jim. And that was his job, running around, just delivering messages. He didn't earn anything at all. I don't know the numbers, and I wouldn't know what it translates to in today's money. But he tithed on the first day of his first job and fa- founded, in the middle of his career, founded the Farmers Trading Company, Robert Laidlaw. In one of New Zealand's wealthiest businessmen at, at, at the time of his career, uh, and tithing right through. And partly because he lived his whole life, his whole career, under an open heaven. If you're going to live under an open heaven, we sing the song, There's an open heaven. It's, the, the, it's referencing this Malachi 3 chapter. When, when we tithe, God opens the heavens. And the Bible says in the Old Translation says, He will rebuke the devourer. See, this is what proves to me that there's a spiritual aspect to our giving, that when we can give and live generously, come on, it makes sense, doesn't it? When we can give and live generously, it sounds a bit like Jesus. When we hold on to and focus on our own self and our own position, it sounds a little bit like the devil, doesn't it? If I'm focusing on me. I'm protecting myself. I'm thinking about my position then when we, when we embrace that attitude, we invite the Spirit, and the Spirit can control us. Is that all right? Yeah? Very, very cool. The, the second thing that can trip us up, the first thing that trips us up is unbelief. The second thing that trips us up is fear, right? Remember, we should, every Christian must give offerings to God because it's His money in the first place. He said to do it. Our motives matter, but we can get tripped up by unbelief, and we can get tripped up by fear. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 9 to 10, should we have a look at that? Proverbs chapter 3 verses 9 to 10, it says, honour the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. That when it says best part means first part, right? Then He will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. It's nice, isn't it? Honour the Lord Honor the Lord with the fullness. It says, "the fullness of the land," and then your vats will overflow, and you'll be blessed to abundance. Right? And the quick, the key issue is honor. The key issue is honor. We, we, when we, when we tithe, when we bring our first fruits, we are honoring the Lord. So when I pick up Richard and give him his car back, I'm not blessing him. I'm just honoring him with his car. Here's your I'd like to honor you with your car, and it's cleaner than when you lent it to me, and it's got a full tank of petrol. That's how you would honor someone, isn't it? It's not a special gift from me. It's just, here's your car, and I'm presenting it to you, right? And the, the challenge is that what happens is fear grips us, and fear attacks honor all the time. Because this is how it works. If, if I honor Alistair, so if I elevate Alistair in a conversation, if I laugh at his joke, will he laugh at mine? Right? If I, if I lift somebody else up and I, and I boost somebody else up, there's a fear attached to it that they'll look better than me. If, if, if I compliment someone else without also trying to drag a compliment out of them, then the group will think that they are more intelligent than me because I complimented them. Do you get that? This is how the world works. This is how the devil works. Thinking about position. That's how Satan works. Position yourself. Find the highest position and hold on to it. But as God says, like Jesus says, come on, honor. Come underneath. Lift other people up. And the honor factor is what goes missing when we don't tithe. Understand this. The tithe, every bit of money you get, when you get paid, if you get paid on a Wednesday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon or at midnight, it finally comes into your account. You can race down the shops and get your groceries. Right? Every time you get paid, it's a test. Right through the Bible, the, the number 10 is associated with tests, right? So there were 10 plagues in Egypt. Uh, there was 10 commandments. Have you heard those ones? 10 commandments. Uh, Jacob's wages were changed 10 times. On 10 different occasions, God tried to meet with the children of Israel in the wilderness. And they and they freaked out. They, they 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 unbelief and their fear drove them away ten times. God tried to meet them. Uh, Daniel and his friends in Babylon were tested how many times? Ten times. When they first did the Daniel fast, they were tested for how many days? Ten days. Right. Um, and in the in, in the book of Revelation chapter two ten, how many days of testing were there in the tribulation? Ten. And Jesus had how many disciples? Twelve. That's right. <laughs> Who nearly said ten did I get anyone? Yeah, I'd almost go yeah yeah, yeah, anyhow, anyhow, this Bible right through the Bible, Judas was the tenth one though no that's that's apocryphal, that's apocryphal uh, <laughs> every time we're paid is a test. Did you know God tests us? you know when you do a test at school, you do an exam at university or you if, if you have a um Performance review at work when they when in a human test is they test you so that they can find out how good you are. Well, God doesn't do a test for that reason, does He? Why would God need to test you? God already knows the thoughts and intents of every heart, so God doesn't test you to find out where so He can find out where you are at, He tests you so that you can find out where you are at. Because if he didn't test you, you would never know what was going on in your heart. If that person hadn't said that to you, you would never know you had a problem with anger. Uh, If if, if God didn't test you around the tithe, you would never know if you were greedy. You'd never know because you'd just be like, what, everybody else. But do we want to be like everybody else? Or does God got a lifestyle for us to live that reflects Him in a powerful, powerful way? And the fear cripples us in the test. Have you ever tried to do a test crippled by fear? Do you do your best? No, you snap the pencil, <laughs> chew the end off it, vomit on your exam paper. <laughs> that's a, Perhaps that's an extreme case and definitely not a prophecy for anybody here. Joe, you know, um, the last thing I want to say is this, and um, this is in closing. How many people know the, the story at the start of the Bible? God creates a world, know that story? God plants a garden, this is the next story. Th- third story in the Bible is there's trees in the garden. How many people know the trees in the garden? Yeah, and then there's one tree which is called the knowledge of good and evil. There's another tree, which is the tree of life. But then there's, it says in the story that there's all sorts of other trees, right? Places swarming with trees. The trees are flying everywhere, right? They're all over the place. And God says that you can eat from every tree in the garden except one, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Now, let's let's, let's imagine that this is the test. I can't think why else God would leave the tree there. But to test. Why did God want to test Eve and Adam? Well, God already knew what was going to happen, but they didn't, did they? Because as far as they knew, they were, they were always going to just honor God because they always honored God. But there was a test. Why is the test there? Is because God wants people who are tested. He wants to test us so that we can really honor Him, so, we can, so that it's real honor. So I'm going to honor God with my money. How? Well, this is how you honor God with your money. It's pretty specific. Not that tree. Right? This tree here, not that tree. Same with money. 10% really easy. to. Everyone can do the maths, right? Not complicated, right? Same with the trees in the garden. It's not complicated. So why did Eve fall? Well, Eve were tricked by who? The devil. Why? Because the devil wants to destroy us, right? So the devil comes in, and the devil's part of the test, right? That's why God allowed the snake in the garden in the first place. And what did the devil say? Did God really say? Did God really say? And do you, know, do you know what the biggest challenge around everything God says is? The devil comes in and says, did God really say? You know, the fact of the matter is if we really search our heart, if we could honestly search our heart, we know what God said, but we spend a lot of time questioning it ourselves and entering into that discussion was was the tree on the, the fruit on the knowledge on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was that fruit better than all the other trees? Was Eve was Eve starving? no the fruit was good but the, the fruit on the other trees was good why because everything in all of creation was perfect right God said it's perfect right? So every other tree in the garden is perfect, along with this tree is perfect. This is the one God said, just don't touch this tree. That tree belongs to me. And that's the test. And Eve's sin was the sin of greed. She wanted to touch the thing that she couldn't shouldn't touch. She wanted to get a hold of the thing that she couldn't get a hold of. And Adam's sin was the sin of greed. And God comes walking through the garden and what did they do? Hide. I heard this sermon about greed, but I'm not going to think about it. Oh, Jordan talked on and on about tithing, but I'm not going to think about it. Do you know? Please don't hide. Come on, just allow God to come to, to speak to you. Just allow God to speak to you. I did not think God was walking through the garden. He calls out, "Adam, where are you?" He's, he, he's a fully aware of God, what's going on. He's fully aware of what's going on in our own heart. He's fully aware of our angry motives. He's fully aware of our, our lustful motives. He's full aware of our, fully aware of our pride. He comes walking through the garden. He connects with us in our life simply to coach us through to the next level. Okay, now you—do you know when you sin? God's saying, okay, now you know where you're at. You're at. Let's move forward. Let's redeem it. Let's break through. Let's get hold of what God's got for us. Amen. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads? I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. God, I just pray that you've been speaking to us tonight. Lord God, I pray you've used my words to encourage my brothers and sisters to walk closer with you, to enter into a deeper relationship with you, that they had experienced the open heaven that can only be experienced in the nearness of your presence.